All right, thank you very much, Coop. I appreciate it. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Prime Time. So here we are trying to figure out what comes next. You had the verdict yesterday, and we do see some different developments already. We know that uh, the Department of Justice, under the care of Merrick Garland, that they are going to open up an investigation into policing in Minnesota. Okay, what are they looking at? Well, the obvious, does that police force have a pattern of excessive force and unlawful conduct against citizens? Now, of immediate interest there will be the initial police statement on how George Floyd died. Remember, the police initially called this a health incident. There was no mention of the knee on the neck or the duration. And this would have never gone to trial had it not been for the case being taken away. So. The White House says President, uh, President Biden is going to push policing reform nationwide. He's going to do it in an address to the joint session of Congress next week. How likely is that? Remember, many on the right don't believe systemic racism exists. Many on the right believe that any problem with policing is a figment of the left's imagination, that the numbers say what you're seeing right here is the minimum. This one was bad, but there aren't many like this. That's their point of view. That's why it is a big unknown whether you will get any bipartisan play on the George Floyd Act. So in terms of change, I think we saw an answer right before we even got the Floyd verdict in terms of what is the state of play. And the answer is that the state of play hasn't really changed. That was one case. Before we got that verdict, just in the moments before, there was another police killing, a lethal shooting of a 16-year-old black girl named Micaiah Bryant. Now, this happened at the hand of police in Columbus, Ohio. I have to tell you, though, if you think you know about this story, you may not if you haven't seen the video. The early reports about this situation that were coming into us last night were varied and very misleading. But now we have tape, okay? To be clear, the circumstances of this latest case are very different than that of the George Floyd situation. But the issue will be the same. Was the use of force justified? And once again, there is body camera footage that was released quickly. Now, this transparency with the body cam video is newfound and fundamental. We saw it with other recent cases. Dante Wright in Minnesota, the 20-year-old with the mistake between the taser and the pistol. And Adam Toledo, the 13-year-old in Chicago who was told to turn around. The officer thought he still had a gun, fired at him once killed him. The tapes in both cases were released quickly. That is a positive change because trust is at a premium. Now, also, this latest case in Ohio that I'm about to show you and the two that preceded it, they all involve uh, young people, okay? They are all, each and all, about the opposite use of time as with George Floyd, meaning these cases are all split-second decisions. Now, while the images can be tough, disturbing. If you want to understand what happened, you need to watch. So this is the latest case in Columbus, Ohio. This started with a 911 call, and here it is. 911, where is your emergency? What's going on? Come up here! We got these grown girls over here trying to fight us, trying to stab us, trying to put our hands on our grandma. Get here now! Have you seen any weapons? Have you seen any weapons? Now, we don't know who it was that made that call, but she referred to someone trying to stab her. 
Now we have the body camera footage and we can see what the officer saw in real time. Hey. What's going on? What's going on? Hey, 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 get down, get down, get down, get down. She had a knife. She just went at her. That's the voice of the officer there. She had a knife. She just went at her. Now, there's a lot going on there. So let's walk through it again slowly as the analysis that will be done by investigators in judging whether or not this was a justifiable use of force. Okay. now when they pull up the first scene, obviously, you got a group fighting. You have what they call a melee. All right. And the female in the jeans. So the officer comes out. You don't see his gun right away. Can't see his right hand. So I don't know. He probably has his hand on it. Now, he sees this girl get knocked down by Micaiah Bryant, okay? The man standing on the right then proceeds to kick the woman or attempt to kick her in the head. Micaiah then makes an advance toward a woman in a pink sweatsuit up against a car. The officer saw the knife. He starts to give verbal commands. Um, Now, there are a lot of decisions that he had to make in a very short amount of time. At the end, you heard the voice of the officer who fired those four shots, identified earlier as Officer Nicholas Reardon. He's been on the force since 2019. You heard him tell a witness why he pulled the trigger. She had a knife. She just went at her. The question is, does that justify the use of force? Split second decision. Absolutely. It's a hard job. But it's got to be analyzed by what he saw, the distance, which is going to be a big part of the analysis here, the options presented to the officer in his own mind. And then you have to start with inaction. Could he or should he have done nothing? Could he have physically restrained because he'd gotten in there? Did he have time? Did he have the capability? Did he have the inclination? Is that the rule? Could he have used the taser? What are the rules there? What is the difference? Distance. What were the different criteria for whether or not a taser is right. What are they trained to do? The knife being involved. How does that change things for the officer? And then the number of shots fired. Will that be justified? And a part of the analysis that I can do in advance, no officers in any police department in this nation that I know of are trained to fire warning shots or to aim for non-lethal opportunities with a weapon, meaning shoot you in the foot, shoot you in the, you know, in the arm. They are not trained to do that. They are trained. If you're going to use the weapon, it is because you've made an assessment of imminent threat to you or someone else. The duty for the officer goes to your life or another's, meaning the woman in the pig sweatsuit. But none of them are given the ability, unless they want to take it on themselves, to shoot somewhere else. They are trained center mass and to fire until the threat is put down. Now, what Reardon did not have, we do, which is the benefit of slow-mo. Now, some will say this isn't fair in assessing his decisions. I'm not using it for that. I'm using it for us so that we can assess what we see in the situation. When I use the slow-mo, it'll be much more apparent. Here it is. 
So Reardon has arrived. The woman's already been thrown on the ground. This is what he sees. That's a big knife in her hand. It's not a pocket knife. He sees the woman in the pink uh, sweatsuit. She is not positioned to fight back, right? The woman's been knocked down. Go ahead. Run the slow-mo again. The woman gets knocked down. There's a man who comes behind Micaiah. Micaiah gets up and comes at the woman. That's a knife that's highlighted. That woman is no position, you know, no position to defend herself. Now, the last part of this that I want you to see is where do you see the knife, the arm position of Makia Bryant, and what it looks like she's about to do? Now, this is in slow-mo, okay? Show that one more time. The knife, the position of the arm, and what it seems like is going to happen. The arm comes up to the shoulder, over the shoulder, and does seem to be going down toward the woman in the pink sweatsuit. So, uh, sweatsuit. Now, we see the officer with a gun. Did he pass leather, meaning did he take it out of the holster because he saw the knife? That's important here. Why did he go for the gun automatically and not the taser? Bryant did appear to move quickly toward the woman in pink. You hear Reardon yelling, get down, get down. Was that the right verbal command? The officer screams instructions, get down, get down. Bryant's arm is raised. He takes the shots. All right, that's what we see in the video. The question is, what are the right steps for assessment? And I am not saying that slow-mo is a fair way to assess it for whether or not the officer did the right thing. I know he had to do it in real time. Okay, so let's continue our analysis right now, uh, which is to bring in the better minds. Okay, we have Anthony Barksdale and Van Jones joining us right now. Gentlemen, once again, thank you. I wish I hadn't been so soon, but it is good to have you both. Um, You saw the video. Without just, uh, you know, just drowning people in it all night. Bark, when you look at the video, what is your initial assessment as to whether or not what the officer did was justified or unjustified? Chris, I believe the officer's actions were justified and reasonable. It is a tragedy. Yes, it is. But his actions were valid. Now, you know what people say. Valid. 16-year-old girl, a knife. He couldn't have done anything else. He couldn't have gotten in there. He couldn't have used the taser. Why'd he pull the the pistol? Um, Should police even be coming to an event like this? That's some of the pushback, specifically uh, from a lot of the black community. What do you make of those uh, snap judgments and concerns? She has a knife. She is actively attacking another black young girl and the officer had to take action. It Once again, Chris, the policing isn't pretty, it's not perfect, but sometimes that officer has to do what he or she has to do to save someone. And I believe that's what we saw. Van, you understand the pushback that people have to this situation and what they're complaining about. Obviously, the officer didn't know how old the people were involved, but... 16-year-old girl, uh, her life gone in this situation, has made people very upset again. Do you think that's a justifiable upset at the police? Uh, I do. Um, You know, the one thing you want is for your kids to be able to survive their dumb mistakes. That's all. I don't know why that young girl was doing what she was doing. I don't know why she had the knife. Um... I just can't have a hard time with this one. I understand, look, again, I'm from a law enforcement family. You know, I'm sure the cops are going to be 
justified because there's a you know, deadly weapon there, pretty much that's the end of the conversation from a legal point of view. But I think from a community point of view, the fact that you have a police officer who seems to be in a situation where the first thing he goes for is a gun. Uh, maybe he saw the knife, maybe he didn't see the knife. But, you know, I just, this is going to sound terrible, Chris, but just hear me out. I've just seen so many white kids do so much crazy stuff. I mean, insane stuff. And they don't get arrested. They don't get shot. They don't get beat up. They don't get tased. They don't get anything. It's just like the cops are there, like they're babysitting, you know, for the neighborhood while total pandemonium happens. And then when I see the same kinds of behavior and frankly, less crazy behavior happening in the community, it's always yelling at kids, cursing at kids, threatening kids, sometimes hitting kids, sometimes tasing kids, and as you see, sometimes shooting kids. It just, it's just so hard to swallow that there wasn't some other option, that there wasn't some opportunity. And if you went up to a bunch of white girls fighting, do you imagine cops shooting them? It just, it, so that's what I'm saying. It's hard to swallow. When you get through with all of it, I am 100% uh, resigned to the fact that the officer will probably be justified from a legal point of view. But there's something really wrong um, in, in the, just the mere fact that most of the community, we have no trust, just no trust at all. Um, as soon as we got the verdict, everybody was happy. We were, oh, my God, another kid got killed. Another kid got killed by the cops. And Why don't the circumstances matter? The I mean, what, what concerned me last night, I was yeah. with you guys last night yeah. um, when we started hearing about this. Bark came on later. I was with you and Ramsey. Um, and the versions of this story were exactly what you're portraying it as now. I know you know the facts changed, yeah. but, you know, it was just a fight and the cop shot her. You know, yeah. this is not just a fight. Yeah. I mean, she's lunging with a long blade at somebody's head, neck, torso. If that were your kid in that pink sweatsuit, would you have wanted the officer to let it go or run in there after she stabbed her a couple times? Yeah, look, I, I understand the cop in some ways is in a no-win situation, and they're not trained to do nothing. Uh, I understand that. And that we could have just as easily been sitting here saying, look, well, cops don't care about kids. They let these kids stab each other to death, and, you know, the cops didn't do anything. So you could be in the opposite scenario. And, and so what I'm saying, it's sitting so poorly with me uh, at a heart level. At a head level, I understand. At a heart level. How can it not? 16-year-old girl. Yeah, that's what I'm you saying. You know, how can you not? I mean, and, everything we want is protection of the young yeah, so and that I, they have a chance to do it better. And, and I just wonder, in a country where cops weren't armed, which is most countries, if you think about, you know, if you're in the U.K., uh, the cop doesn't reach for the gun because they can't reach for the gun. And so they wind up being trained very differently in conflict resolution. They wind up being trained very differently, and they have different outcomes. Of course, they don't have a country where you got guns everywhere, so I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying how much of it at the end of the day, maybe in this situation, there's no other choice. But I just, it just sits so bad. It's been bothering me all day. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people feel the same way. At the end of the day, I, I, I want us to figure out some way to talk people down more than we shoot them down. And I see it happening in some communities more than I see it happening in others. I totally get everything you're saying. Uh, and this is a no-win situation because you lost life. And as soon as that happens, there's, no, there's never going to be upside, no matter what the remedy was. But uh, Mark's... Uh, you know, in this situation, is there something else? What would you have done? Chris, it is, and we all go back to what we talked about uh, prior. Uda loop. Observe, orient, decide, act. We got a call. The officer got a call that there's someone stabbing. So you're thinking, armed person, 
there's a knife, it's not for taser, it's not for mace. The officer must think, gun, I, 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 my force has to overcome a knife. So that's what's in his mind. Then he sees the threat. He orients. He, he's looking where everybody is. Now, I'm going to stop here and say something. He, 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 I, I'm looking at him take those shots while the woman in pink was right there. That is concerning. But at the same time, the threat was there. It was imminent, and he fired. So he made a decision. Decide. He decided that he was going to use force. I he will say, though, Anthony, did you see the other faces on the other two officers? They look a little bit in shock. They did not have weapons drawn. One of them uh, seems to be a person of color. The other one seems to be white. He's got on black long sleeves, but I think it's a white guy. They look surprised. They're looking at the officer. They did not have weapons drawn. If we look at the angle, that officer that fired is the one who sees the knife. I think one is coming from behind the vehicle. Yep. And he's, he pulls his gun out to sweep while she's still on the ground. So he didn't see, in my opinion, what was going on. That officer went right into that situation. And in split seconds, that hot call really got hot. And unfortunately, and I'm with Fan on this, it is, you're tired of it. If there's another solution, I believe we do need to work on it. But right now. For, for this particular incident, the officer is justified in that use of force, in my opinion. All right, I got to jump. Van, Anthony, I got to go. I got to go. I'm sorry. Well, look, this we'll conversation back. will be continued. I hope, God willing, it's not because we keep having cases. Uh, it's that we yeah. start talking about solutions. Thank you both, gentlemen. I appreciate you. A Columbus you. Uh, city leader was working on making police more accountable in his city when he got word of this shooting last night. I want to bring him in to get his reaction to the body cam videos and what he thinks. Is there something that could have made this go differently? Is there a way to do it better? Next. All right, here's the question. Could the situation in Columbus have been handled otherwise? My next guest is looking at exactly this, and he's in a position to help. President of the Columbus City Council, Shannon Harden. Thank you for joining me. Thank you uh, for having me, even under these uh, very tragic uh, circumstances. Do you believe it had to go the way it went? You know what, Chris? I am uh, in leadership of a city that is mourning today. Um, that is grieving. At the end of the day, we have a 16-year-old, I call her a baby, Micaiah, um, who uh, is not with us anymore. Uh, so I, I don't have all the answers. What I do know is that um, um, the black community in particular is dealing with uh, the fear uh, that comes with uh, policing in, in America. Uh, and our city is not immune to uh, uh, those fears. Uh, and they're not immune to uh, the issues of policing in, in, uh, in this country. Understood. But look, there is no but. You lost uh, a young life, and that is horrible under any circumstances. But in terms of what you do with that pain, not all cases are the same. Um, right. I really right. don't know what this officer, I mean, I guess the officer could have done nothing, 
But then what if she had really stabbed up that other girl? And, and then people would say, see, he didn't do anything because he didn't care about her life the same way. I feel like the situation's got to matter, too. I mean, what, you know, when you look at the situation, I understand the pain in the morning. But answers and clarity and transparency, you know, can really harness um, the pain in situations like this. What do you say about that? So certainly I think what we have done over the last 24 hours, uh, I uh, applaud the mayor in immediately releasing these videos. Yes. Uh, it provides that transparency. Uh, we are now under an agreement with the state of Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation where any officer involved shooting is immediately turned over so there, that we have the independence so that we can have the accountability. Uh, transparency, accountability matters. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're not going to bring back Micaiah. And so for, for me, one of the things that we have focused on is reform in general. We have uh, too many interactions with police officers that uh, end in, uh, in, in violent ways. And for us, We've been focusing on reform. In fact, just yesterday when I found out about Micaiah's, I was live uh, hosting a hearing to seat our city's first ever civilian review board to provide oversight and accountability. I, I had to, to, to process this uh, in front of the community as we were hearing this. And, and, and I think back over the last uh, eight, nine months since George Floyd, as we were putting out the statement yesterday where I was saying that um, we were sighing a, a, a sigh of relief. The, the, the truth smacks us in the face and that for too many in our community, there is no relief. Since George Floyd's killing in Columbus, our, in our city, we have uh, banned no-knock warrants. We have decriminalized, uh, de, uh, militarized the, the military force. We have uh, passed reforms that would uh, uh, weed out uh, police officers with hate, uh, hate group affiliations. And we passed, put to voters, and it passed 72%, the civilian re- police, police reform. Uh, but even this... Uh, instance tells us we still have to do more. I believe uh, in, in in the term and, and the process of reimagining public safety, and not just here in Columbus, but all across this country, we have to uh, bring down those situations where these officers are engaging with uh, the community and say, do we need more mental health responders? We are asking police officers to to deal with youth violence, to deal with a mental health, to deal with substance abuse, to deal with poverty. Uh, and, and, and they they can't be trained to deal with all of this. And so right. we have to uh, support bringing in uh, other folks to to uh, to make sure that our residents get the appropriate response to the crisis that's at hand. And look, I, I've read uh, a good amount about what you've been saying on this and people should do their own research on you because it's very nuanced and contextual. You just lost a 16 year old. It's hard to move past that. But you do have to balance your equities here in terms of this is what police face. And you can't have them be demonized because then you'll never have trust in the community. And it was interesting for me to to get your take on this, uh, a son of Ohio, to have LeBron James. He came out hot out of the box. You're next. He deleted the tweet. And then he wrote another message saying, hey, we got to be calm. I deleted the tweet because I don't want to add to this. I don't want to just go with the officer. I'm just very upset about this 16-year-old being lost. It's a delicate balance. Uh, having people respect the very difficult job that that cop had to come to in that situation and also making sure that the job is as safe as it can be. Am I right? You're 100 percent right. Uh, but, but everybody has the right to be angry. I have shed more tears today uh, than than I have in any other day of my my term uh, of, of serving this city. Uh, so the anger and the frustration is real and, it, and I, it's understandable. And, you know, what we have seen over the last day with this body camera uh, video 
it is a is a is an interaction that that tragically took the the life of Micaiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and but the important thing is is that we have an independent investigation. So it's not about you or I answering the question: uh, Should he uh, uh, use a different uh, weapon or not? We will have an investigation to to look into those things. Uh, and, and and candidly, I can't really speak on how I feel on that because there is an independent right. investigation. And the worst thing that I would want to do is anyway jeopardize uh, those findings. Uh, but but the fact of the matter is that one thing that I know for sure is that the baby's gone. And and we as a community, all of us, and I would say that, I mean, we as a country need to pass the George Floyd uh, Policing Act. We are, we need tools. Cities are trying. We are passing the reform. But time and time again. Uh, we are having these instances and too many, too often the, 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 the babies and the, the folks that are dying look like me. Shannon Harden, you are right. And the pain is all too real and it's all too frequent. And I'm sorry for your community. And I appreciate you addressing it and addressing it here on the show. I wish you luck going Keep forward. Keep us in our prayers. Thank you. All right. Be well. And uh, just quick as I transition to commercial here, I know what the other side is on this. And they're really, they can't be sides. I understand. She had a knife. This was bad. Not every case is the same. I know. Well, then why are they so upset? Here's why people are upset. Because you know how many situations like this were not as fact-friendly to a justified use of force as this one was, but there was no justice. There was no knife. It was a pushing match. It was someone who didn't want to listen. The pain is not just about one incident. It's a carryover from a culture. You have to remember that as well. This is a tough case because it was a kid. The facts are going to line up in a way that's going to make for a quick investigation. But that doesn't mean that this one incident gives us one reality. My next guest is not only a former law enforcement officer, she's now a lawmaker with the power to vote for police reform in Congress. Val Demings understands how hard this balance is as a leader, as a lawmaker, and as a person of color. And she also understands that it's hot in here. In terms of this argument, she had a tiff with one of her colleagues about this uh, on the subject. How does she see it? Where are we headed? Next. An impassioned rebuke from Democratic lawmaker Val Demings is going viral. She took it to Congressman Jim Jordan. The context? Jordan tried to introduce an amendment that would prevent efforts to defund police. But it came during debate on a hate crimes bill addressing racial violence against Asian Americans, a bill that made no mention of defunding police. Demings didn't like it. Here was her response. I served as a law enforcement officer for 27 years. It is a tough job. And good police officers deserve your support. You know, it's interesting to see my colleagues on the other side of the aisle support the police when it is politically convenient to do so. Law enforcement officers risk their lives every day. They deserve better. And the American people deserve... I have the floor, Mr. Jordan. Did I strike a nerve? The gentle, Law enforcement the gentle, officers the gentle deserve lady, better than to be utilized the gentle, as pawns. The gentle, and you and your colleagues are ashamed of yourself. The gentle lady will suspend and the clock will be stopped. House Judiciary Chair there, Jerry Nadler, obviously tried to step in. Um, Val Demings is no joke. She knows the job and the politics have gotten ugly around policing. It's the hardest job in the world. 
I mean, even in this Columbus, Ohio, how do you think that officer feels tonight after having to do the job that he had to do there? She believes there's a strategy behind playing police as pawns. And she also believes there's a better way forward. So let's have that conversation. Next. With us now is Democratic Congresswoman Val Demings, who, of course, understands policing. She was a chief of police in Florida. Uh, What didn't you like about where you think Jim Jordan and his colleagues were coming from in that hearing? Well, Chris, how are you? It's great to be with you. And let me just say this. As you well know, we're dealing with some critical issues in our nation. Criminal justice reform, COVID-19, crumbling infrastructure. We're dealing with some serious issues. Yesterday, we were looking at legislation dealing with hate crime, really trying to address the increase in violence against Asian Americans in this country as a result of the violent rhetoric from the former president. I would think if Mr. Jordan was so concerned about protecting law enforcement, then he would be very interested in passing legislation that reduces hate crimes that law enforcement has to deal with. And so what we saw yesterday was just another political game that he, where he was trying to distract us, distract the committee, distract the American people from the real issues and using and try to use law enforcement as a political pawn. You think I that, didn't like it. We I, need to stay focused. And I spoke up about it. Yes, you did. Um, the idea of getting change through Congress. What do you think the chance is that the George Floyd law gets through when the mentality in the Senate is not that different uh, from the right in the House? They don't believe in systemic inequality. Uh, they don't believe in these needed changes. Uh, they don't want to get rid of chokeholds. What do you think is that you get the George Floyd Act passed? You know, Chris, yesterday we saw, uh, we heard the verdict, guilty on all charges. During the trial, we saw bystanders from a nine-year-old girl, a teenager, and others come forward and testify. We saw the police chief testify, police lieutenant testify, the training officer testify. They all said, we did not teach, we do not teach this technique, and this is not our ethics or our values. So we've already seen some things that we are not used to seeing resulting from the George Floyd trial. I am hoping that the members of the U.S. Senate were paying attention and will seize this opportunity to join America, to join the citizens, to join good law enforcement officers who certainly want to see change so that they can be better. I'm hoping the Senate's paying attention and will step up to the moment and do the right thing and pass this legislation. Is it going to solve all of our problems? No, it cannot. But coming together in a very meaningful way and listening to the American people and wanting to fix our own brokenness is a heck of a good start. Um, It is a good start if you can get a start. They are not accepting on the right fringe this verdict as what you just put it out there as. They are seeing it as mob mentality turned into a fear tactic, that that jury was scared into this, that even the president uh, was putting pressure on them to create a certain outcome. Now, I have sound teed up um, from this guy over on Hate TV, but I'm not going to play it. I'm not going to echo what he says. You know what they're saying. They say that this was the jury got scared into it. Now you have this situation in Columbus, Ohio, where this young woman, for whatever reason, 
decides to take a knife and go at this other girl. The cop winds up shooting her four times, killing her. They're using that as an example. Oh, oh, what was the policeman supposed to do here? Let her get stabbed? How do you get past the rhetoric of the fear that people are demonizing the police, that you're scaring uh, people into verdicts? You got to get past that before you can get to legislation. You know, Chris, any thought that the jury was scared into their verdict is an insult to them. And it's an insult to a system. While it's not perfect, it is an insult to our system of justice. Look, I have had an opportunity to spend considerable amount of time Mm -hmm. with juries in my career. There are men and women who step up to the plate and they serve their communities with honor and distinction. They saw the video just like the whole world did. They heard the testimony just like the whole world did. I would love to hear what the Republicans thought the use of force was if they did not think it was excessive, that it was inhumane, that it was inappropriate. Um, And so the evidence is clear, but I know that they're asking us not to believe our eyes and our ears. Shame on them. I commend the jury for weighing the evidence, which was clear and convincing. And obviously the prosecution convinced them beyond any reasonable doubt in this case. And so I am again hoping that we can find enough good men and women, courageous members of the U.S. Senate to get this done on behalf of our nation. You know, I said yesterday that justice prevailed, but look, we know that justice is more than just one verdict and one incident. We still have a lot of work to do, but we cannot get that work done without bringing law enforcement and the community together. Everybody counts, but everybody's accountable and responsible uh, lawmakers at the local, state, and federal level. Chris, this is our moment, and I am hoping and praying that we will rise to this moment. I give you the last word. Congressman Val Demings, thank you for coming on the show, and good luck with the work. Thank you. Another piece of what we're seeing in the aftermath of the George Floyd trial is the Department of Justice moving in and looking at Minneapolis specifically. Specifically, within their probe will be how George Floyd was handled by the police in the beginning. Now, the DOJ has done this before. They actually probed policing in uh, Baltimore when Freddie Gray died in police custody in 2015. You remember that case was a heartbreak for a lot of people in that community because there were all these charges that they weren't used to hearing about against police, but not a single conviction. Now, what change came from the investigation of the Baltimore police? What did they find? Is it better because of that case? Marilyn Mosby knows, and she's here. Next. A day after Derek Chauvin's conviction and the murder of George Floyd, the Justice Department announced a sweeping investigation into the Minneapolis Police Department. It's the first such pattern or practice investigation In the Biden administration, it's not the first of its kind, but it is marking a return to increased federal oversight on policing. The Trump administration used this kind of investigation just once over the past four years. Stark contrast to the more than two dozen civil rights investigations launched under President Obama. One of those was launched in Baltimore, and it came after the death of Freddie Gray while in police custody. It was ruled a homicide and resulted in a consent decree, which is a willing statement of change by that office or department. Marilyn Mosby 
was the prosecutor and in that state's case and is the state's attorney for Baltimore City. It's good to see you, Counselor. Thank you for having me, Chris. Do you believe that the DOJ made a meaningful difference in Baltimore? I absolutely do. I, I mean, first and foremost, I think that we're in a very unique sort of moment. I think that what we saw yesterday is a first step towards equality and accountability. Um, but accountability is so incredibly important, right? Because when you look at what happened in Freddie Gray um, in 2015, that accountability which wasn't being had in this country, led to exposure. A week after I charged those officers, the Department of Justice came in, exposed a pattern and practice of discriminatory policing in the eighth largest police department in the country. That exposure ultimately led to reform. And even despite the fact that the Trump administration tried to stop it, it's still on record. And what we can point to is tangible sort of reforms that were put into place as a direct result of that accountability. Right. Um, so you look at the the federal consent decree, the body worn cameras on all officers. We didn't have that implementation in the city of Baltimore before that decision, before that accountability. We have use of force and de-escalation policies that emphasize the sanctity of life. We have the affirmative duty to intervene when your fellow officers cross the line. Police officers are mandated to call a medic when requested by a prisoner. The mandate to seat all seatbelt all prisoners, right? We even have cameras in some of the police wagons where we don't have to just rely on circumstantial evidence. Um, like we did in Freddie Gray. And then there's also software verification that ensures police accountability. So there are tangible reforms, but let's be clear, there are still systems that prevent police accountability that we have to ensure that we, we, we reform. Accountability uh, goes hand in hand with culture. Do you believe that the investigation and your prosecution was a catalyst for culture change? Is there any indication? I mean, you hit the nail on the head, Chris. This is about culture change, right? This is not a training issue, right? And, and at the end of the day, what we have to be cognizant of, and this is something that I said last night, is I thought the, that Keith Ellison and the prosecution team did a phenomenal job. We had video evidence that was vital and could not be contradicted. But at the end of the day, the one thing I disagreed with them about was the fact that this did not represent policing in America. What, George, what, what Derek Chauvin did to George Floyd absolutely represents what policing has been for black people in this country. And so it's a culture shift. Absolutely. What do we need to do? We need to reform it. So when you look at the law enforcement bill of rights that ties police departments hands from getting rid of problematic officers, we need to ensure that we do that. We've done that in the state of Maryland. When it comes to investigating police, investigating themselves, <laughs> your prosecution is only going to be as good as the investigation. No profession should be in the business of investigating themselves. So there are systemic reforms that need to be put into place that we are moving towards. And in the state of Maryland, I'm happy through the leadership of you know, the, the first black speaker of the house, we passed historic police accountability reform, but nationally, we have got to understand, we have to move from protest to policy and implement these types of reforms. Every case is different. When the DOJ looks at Minnesota, they're gonna have low fruit, like the fact that the, uh, the department didn't even mention the knee on the neck in the initial assessment, said it was a health incident. And then there are things that are hard, like the Columbus, Ohio case we're looking at right now. 16-year-old girl, that loss of life is 
unbearable for that community and, of course, her family. But officers have a hard job. And now in that case, the officer is getting all kinds of scrutiny. He was put in a bad position because that's the job for these guys. How do you help people understand that as well? I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, I can tell you, I come from law enforcement. My, my grandfather was one of the founding members of the first black police organization in, in, in Massachusetts. And the one thing I can tell you, they risk their lives each and every day. But there is a culture of stigmatization and criminalization that is imposed upon black people in this country that we have got to change. That's one of the reasons why a month ago I came out and basically said, we're not prosecuting these low level offenses that have nothing to do with public safety. We have to stop relying on the police to respond to every social ill of society that for black people in this country can lead to a death sentence. I hear if you, you look at Freddie Gray, he made eye contact with police in a high crime neighborhood. He ended up dead. Eric Garner was allegedly selling loose cigarettes. George Floyd passing, uh, uh, allegedly giving a, a counterfeit bill during a global pandemic for groceries, right? Dante, right? Air fresheners, right? Like So at the end of the day, there are systemic reforms that need to be put into place And this is the beginning to ensuring those reforms come into place. Marilyn Mosby, I appreciate the passion and thank you for the intellect that you bring to the situation. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We'll be right back. Apologies for keeping you from the big show and the big star. D. Lemon starts right now. Uh, Ohio is tough. It is really, really, really tough. Um, Yeah. You know, we were, you, know, you were really actually, you were, to be honest, let's let the audience into something. Uh, so Don and I heard about this story last night on social media while we were doing coverage for you of the Chauvin verdict last night. And the initial reports didn't seem right. And it was so interesting for me, as emotional and personal as these stories are to someone of color, especially Don, you with your background, you were cautious about it. You were saying... Huh. Hmm. I want to see this one. I want to see this Um, because there was a lot of emotion and understandably so. You got a 16 year old kid that's gone. Yeah. And it's a hard one. I do not know how to explain this to people in a way that doesn't make somebody very angry. Well, yes. And we're dealing with a lot of emotion right now. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. And I think that is um, um, it's real. And you have to take that. That part has to be taken into account. There's a lot of anguish. Uh, people are very emotional right now, but we've got to be fair about what happens when police arrive at scenes. It is tragic that it's a 16-year-old girl, just as it is tragic that it's a 13-year-old in Chicago. Um, when police are chasing people, they don't know how old they are. And they don't run and say, hey, how old are you? Oh, I'm 13. You know, my mom let me, th- you don't know that. Or I'm 16. When they roll up on a scene, they see people tussling around. Someone has a knife. And their job is to protect and serve every life on that scene. And if they see someone who is in the process of taking a life, what is that decision? What decision do they have to make? And I know that people say, well, you know, you could do this, you could do that. Tasers don't work the way guns work. Not, Tas- at, that, not at that distance. Not at that distance. And, and tas- not with that amount of time. That, yeah, right. Tasers, then do, they don't always connect. So you've got to get, you know, two prongs or what have you, and it's got to connect or whatever. But I, 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 I see it. If the woman in the pink was my sister, niece, wife, whatever, 
I, you have to make a decision. Is one life on that scene more valuable than another? And if someone is trying to take a life on that scene, do you protect the life of the person trying to take the life or do you protect the life of the person whose life is in imminent danger at that point? That's why I'm not a police officer. But when I look at that, I just, it, as I said, it is tough because one is a 16-year-old. I don't know how old the other person is, but the other person's life was in imminent danger. And as you know, from the hostile environment training that we get on this job and, and because of our proximity to law enforcement, that at a certain distance, a stabbing, a knife can be much more lethal than a bullet. And especially if you get stabbed in the, in a, in, in the artery, in the temple, somewhere that you're going to bleed out. Look, I feel I for the I, I feel for you always feel for everybody, everybody involved. Sometimes I don't feel for certain parties as much as others, but I feel for that officer. You yeah. could hear it in his voice when he said, um, you know, the, the, the man on the side was saying, uh, you know, you shot my baby, you shot my baby. And he said she had a knife. She went right at her. Uh, you know, this is something that he's going to have to live with. Also, yeah. I did have one person make one good point that I hope doesn't come across offensive because certainly it's not the way I mean. No, it. but this is what people are talking about. This is this is what people because, again, we, I, again, we weren't on the scene. No, and even but before you say that, Chris, even in the slowed down version, the slow mo version, that slowed version was a second. Second. Right. Imagine in real time how fast it's happening. You're like looking around like, what is going on? Someone, someone called the police right. and you see someone with a knife and they're trying to stab the other person. And you're like, what do you do? The taser doesn't work that fast. What do I do? Right. Right. And so you've got to there. What you see is a life that is in jeopardy and imminent jeopardy at, at the moment. I don't know. Yeah, that man is right. You shot my baby and he is in grief and in pain. I get that. And the other person could have been bleeding out on the sidewalk as well. Either way, in that position, I think that someone's life probably would have ended. It could have been the other woman in the pink or it could have been the the 16-year-old who sadly ended up dying. Go on. Sorry. No, it's just that. No, listen, everything you're saying is instructive and brave because people don't want to hear you say that this was a justified shooting. But and we don't, don't know. But, but, we, but we don't know. But right. I don't know that this sets up like it did when we first saw uh, George Floyd. No. I mean, you know, the moment you saw that, you knew it was wrong. The whole country knew it was wrong. White, black, you know, whatever. You knew. But here, somebody said something to me today that gave me a little bit of clarity. Older woman of color <clears throat> said to me, uh, I was like, man, this is really hard. You know, the piece of the tape where the guy says what he says, you know, you shot my baby. She goes, shame on him. Mm. I said, well, why? He just lost a family member. I don't know if it's his kid or whatever it was. And the response was, you, he came running out of that house. Why did he stop it? Where were the parents? You know, what were they doing? Why, why did he stop it? You know, why did the police have to come and control that situation? Why didn't he? And, you know, I do see that perspective as well. I hadn't yeah. thought of that before. Yeah. But the guy comes running out of the house, tries to kick one woman in the head. You know, he's an active part of the fight. Yeah. You know, the adults have to be adults, too. Well, I, listen, in, in that, in that I, you know, I've got to run but, because I've got to get to this and I'm going to talk to you. But in that part, it's like, the, it's like what people said before the nine minutes and 29 seconds that, oh, he was resisting. He was doing that. We all know what it really came down to is what happened in that nine minutes and 29 sure. seconds. So regardless of what he said, you know, where was he? I get it. Where was he before? Why didn't he deescalate it? I, I don't know. 
But what it comes, what what it will come down to is whether the police shooting in that moment, in those seconds, were justified. And police it was him saving a third party's life on that scene. Just he has a duty, and he has a duty He's to a duty do that. To use force to protect his own life or the life of another. It's not going to come to this. What happened in the house? It's not going to come. It's going to come when he rolls up on that scene. They're tussling. They're rolling around, and then he sees someone with a knife. Boom, that is the part that is going to be whether it's justified or not, that part, not everything. The analysis is only of the instant circumstances. I'm saying if you want to have this contextual conversation that people seem to want to have about what else we could do, people fight with knives all the time. Do we really need cops? The answer is no. Learn how to control your kids and, you know, don't be so violent. We won't need cops, but that's not our reality. And cops get called to our lives all the time for the worst situations. The reality is I got to go because I got to get to the show. Well, I love you, you, Don Lemon. I love the conversations. Thank you for these conversations. Again, we need a lot of grace. Um, People are in their feelings right now as well they should be. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call me country. Beyonce and Nashville's renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.